so today we're going to talk about uh, who you are in Christ, and we're going to talk about how that you are more than a conqueror. As we sing, we sing a lot of songs today about being free in Christ, Christ setting us free. What's he setting us free from? Well, he's setting us free from a lot of stuff. <laughs> the world, the world system, uh, the, the habits that we have, the addictions that we have, the tendencies that we have, the sins that we run to, all of those things, he wants to set us free. And how does he do that? We're going to talk about that today. That's, so I, that's the question. How does he do that? Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Caesarea Philippi, a lot of you have heard this, you know, Caesarea Philippi was a, a town uh, about 25 miles north of Galilee, the area where Jesus was doing most of his ministry. Uh, it was... <laughs> It was 25 miles away from those religious Jewish communities in, in Galilee, but it was a world away because Caesarea Philippi had a real varied history. In Old Testament times, this northern part of Israel, this north, northern eastern part of Israel was where the Baal of the worship of Baal was practiced. And Baal was in a great sense, the worship of Baal was the undoing of the nation of Israel. They, they had trouble deciding to worship God. They would always venture off to the sexual deviancy of worshiping Baal. And it was one of the reasons why God disciplined them and sent them into captivity in Babylon because of their rebellion and continuous worship of Baal. So this area... If you were a good Jewish boy, like uh, the, the disciples of Jesus were, this area represented that, that fallen part of Israel. Uh, years later, the Romans conquered the territory, and Herod Philip rebuilt the city and named it after himself. And the temple was built there to honor Caesar as God. So there... They, men were worshipped, they, they had what they called Caesar worship, which began with all of the Caesars. The Caesars would require that they be considered as gods. So that was, that was part of the issue. So there in Philippi is a temple to worship Caesar as God. And it also stood, uh, it was a Caesarea Philippi was a lush area because it's, uh, it's at the base of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in the area, 9,000 feet. Uh, and it became the religious worship for the worship of the Greek god Pan because at the base of Mount Hermon is this cave. And at this cave is an aquifer. There is a deep, deep, very deep 
water source there. And it became the religious center for the worship of the Greek god Pan. And the Greeks named the city Panius in his honor. And so in the pagan mind, the cave at Caesarea Philippi created a gate to the underworld. It created a gate to Hades where fertility gods lived in the winter. So for, they believed that their gods, like Panis, Pan, and the nymphs, lived in caves in the wintertime. And so in order in the spring to bring them out and to entice the return of their gods each year, the people of Caesarea Philippi engaged in, in this grotto of Pan, they engaged in horrible deeds, including prostitution, sexual interaction between humans and goats, because Pan is a half-man, half-goat figure of a god. So, Caesarea Philippi was the red light, light district, and it wasn't the place where good Jewish boys would go visit, yet Jesus took his disciples there to a place where people were eagerly knocking on the gates of hell. I mean, they were like, hey, we want to be a part of this deviant worship. So why did, why did Jesus go there? Why did he go to Caesarea Philippi and make this statement, the gates of hell shall not prevail against I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it was there at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus is in a sense saying, listen, guys, I want to tell you, there's a battle unfolding right now for the souls of men. You don't know it. You don't see it. But if you understand that I'm the Messiah, what I'm coming to do as the Messiah is to take back what belongs to God. And I am going to invade the very forces of darkness, and we are going to defeat the devil, and he is going to be overcome, and the gates of hell. He's not saying, well, you know, y'all, y'all will do okay here. He's saying, listen, I'm going to build my church where people think there shouldn't be a church built. I'm going to build my church where people think, these people are too far. Listen, these people are worshiping. They're worshiping Pan. They're sexual deviants. They're, they're worshiping Caesar. They're, they're, they're so far off the charts. These people are never going to come to God. And Jesus says, that's where we're going to build a church. Amen. The gates of hell. It's, it's not saying, oh, the church is barely going to make it. And we're going to be able to resist hell. No. It's saying we're going to be able to take over. We're going to be able to storm the gates of hell. Jesus is saying, listen, he's, so he's picking a fight. You remember that, that line in, uh, in uh, Braveheart where he says, I'm going to pick a fight. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He, he, is calling, he is calling Satan. He's saying, listen, all you forces of darkness, I want you to put you on notice. You are defeated. So... So, <laughs> this, is what, this is what he says. Then, then he tells them, this is, this is how I'm going to do it. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to defeat all the powers of darkness. And then he tells them how he's going to do it. From this time, 
Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Eight times between here and the upper room, he tells them the Son of Man's going to be killed and he's going to rise again on the third day. So he tells them, Jesus says, the way I'm going to conquer death is through death. The way that I'm going to conquer death is I'm going to overcome death. I'm going to go into death, and I'm going to defeat death on its own terms. So that Jesus defeated death, he defeated the power of the enemy, he defeated Satan. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. But we seek God's wisdom in a mystery. There's a mystery. That mystery is that, how, that what God was going to do to save us is that he was going to send a redeemer. And that redeemer is Jesus. God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they'd understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he says, from this moment when Jesus throws down the gauntlet at Caesarea Philippi and says, hey, Satan, I'm coming for you, then the end result is, is that he's crucified. The end result is it looks like, I mean, because, you know, the crucifixion looks like defeat. And it is if you don't have a resurrection. But the crucifixion is where the price is paid for salvation. The resurrection is where the power is released to overcome the enemy. So in Christ, through Christ, because of what Christ has done, because Christ has thrown down the gauntlet and said, we're going to have victory, we're going to overcome all the power of the enemy, he says this, in Christ, we overwhelmingly conquer. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, this is, you know, we're actually... Right now on Wednesday nights, we're going through Romans chapter 8 verse by verse because Romans chapter 8 just has lots of good stuff in it. Amen. Romans chapter 8 verse 31, what shall we say to these things? We, he's talked about trouble, difficulty. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yet, yes, rather, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Back up a couple of verses. What does he say here? He says here, just as is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That doesn't feel like victory. Does it? But in all these things, he said, even in all these things, even in death, even in death, in the, all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Why? Because he defeated death. 
He took the sting of death. He took the power of death. Do we still die? Yes. But Jesus said at the graveside of Lazarus, if you die, you live even if you die. He, even, he says this way, if you believe in me, you'll never die. But if you die, <laughs> you'll not really die. You're going to live forever. You see, this, this body this body's going to die. If the Lord tarries long enough that Jesus doesn't come back today in the clouds and take us all into heaven, I'm, I'm kind of up for that, you know. Okay? You know, if, 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 if Jesus doesn't come back, we're gonna, you're going to die physically. But the, min, the minute that you die, you don't die because you step into the presence of the Lord. Yes. To be absent from the body, the Bible says, is to be present for the Lord. So he says in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. We overwhelmingly conquer. We don't just get by conquer. You know, we're not just struggling through. We're just going to crawl through the gates of heaven. We're going to go to heaven and we're going to take people with us. We're going to rescue people from the gates of hell. We're not going to be afraid of the world, and we're not going to be afraid of the devil, and we're not going to be afraid of sin. We're not going to do it, but we're not going to be afraid of people who are sinners. Amen. We're not going to be offended by people that are sinners. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but you were one too, and you might still be. It's okay. Jesus came to save you. He came to set you free. We overwhelmingly conquer, first of all, because all condemnation and accusation is defeated. So he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to bring a charge against you? Now, you can, I mean, you can have all kinds of accusations all the time. People can accuse you all the time. But there's only one person who has the right to accuse you that makes any eternal difference, and that's God. Right? So who can bring a charge against God's elect? Well, everybody can. But who can, who can bring a charge that's going to make any difference between you and God? Nobody. Only God could do that. And it said he's not going to do it. Why? Because that's been settled in Christ. He's not going to bring a charge against his elect. It's been settled in Christ. You're not guilty. You think, well, I feel pretty guilty. I look pretty guilty. But I've been forgiven. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? God, God is the one who sets us free. We, we overwhelmingly conquer because even in death, it's not a defeat. He said, you know, <laughs> he says, peril or sword or nakedness. For your sake, we've been put to death all day long, but yet we, we overwhelmingly conquer. How, why? But thanks be to God, 2 Corinthians 2.14, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Even though we want to stay here as long as God wants us here, when you die and you pass from this point into eternity, the presence of God is better than this. Heaven is better. You don't get to check out early. You don't get to take an early trip. You don't get to decide when you want to go. But, but when we lose people before we expect to lose them, we're the ones that are experiencing loss, not them. Right. We're, we're suffering because 
We've had people that have gone on before. We weren't ready. We weren't ready for them. But they're, they're not thinking, oh, man, I wish I was back there struggling to make a living, struggling to make my days go by. They're, they're in the glorious presence of the Lord. They're, they're doing the work of God. They're, they're in heaven. So here's what I want you to get. Even, he's saying to these people, listen, you may die for Christ. You may die for your faith. That, but that's, hard, that's even hardly, we never even think about that. That's hard to prospect for any of us. Did you know that every, virtually everywhere else around the world, people are dying for their faith? I mean, China right now is persecuting and, and destroying churches at a rate they never have before. They've used, they've used the, the obscurity of COVID-19 to persecute Christians. In Muslim countries, they are persecuting Christians aggressively. So there, there may be a time, we may not have that many years before to be a Christian really cost us something where we may not, we have to not love our lives even to death to follow Christ. But what he's saying is you can't lose. The believer can't lose. The follower of Christ cannot lose. We overwhelmingly conquer because even death, which seems like a defeat to us, we thought death was defeat, but Jesus defeated death so that it became for us a moment to step from this life into the presence of the Lord. Revelation 12, 7, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night, and they overcame him. Because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. So how do we overwhelmingly conquer? How do we conquer? How do we deal with sin, struggle, temptation in this life? We deal with it through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the Lamb, first of all, you know, because we've talked about you battle sin from your belief system. It's, it's much easier to overcome a sin that you know will be forgiven. And you think, well, that, that's an excuse. Well, then you don't understand how grace and love works. Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption, the word redemption is to buy back. He has purchased us with his blood. He's purchased us with his blood and he has given us forgiveness and by his grace, unmerited favor. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Yet he gives his life away. So 
I overcome sin by understanding that I'm graced and I'm forgiven. I overcome the enemy by understanding that I'm graced and I'm forgiven. The riches of grace. Then that grace, that blood justifies and removes all condemnation. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, he doesn't wait till we get our act together to love us. You know, that's, that's one of the great deceptions of the enemy is that I need to do better so that, you know, I need to stop some stuff. You know, I'm drinking too much. I need to cut back on my drinking. I, you know, I'm, I'm cussing too much. I'm, you know, all the too muches, you know. I need, to, I need to change. I want to tell you the power to change is not in cutting back. The power to change is giving your life to Jesus Christ. The power to change is not in doing better and trying harder. It's a dead end. Because you're never there. And the enemy will always keep you in a place of defeat because you have to realize, I can only, I can only be justified. I can only be set free through the blood of Christ. God demonstrates his own love towards us while we're still sinners. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having been justified. That means justified, just simple way to remember this. You've all heard this. Just as if I never sinned. Just if I never sinned. I've been justified in Christ. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So that the blood of Jesus Christ justifies us. It pays the price of our sin, and it removes all condemnation. And then the great thing is this, is that it changes our relationship with God because religion doesn't save, but relationship does, our relationship with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new, new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, so he's saying, by the blood of Jesus, we have confidence to come into the throne room of God, to come into the very presence of God, because we're in the family of God. So we, we conquer by what the blood of Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. It's not by our works, not by our ability, but we rejoice in what Jesus has purchased for us. We're operating out of his strength and his ability and his justification, his redemption, his salvation, his grace, his mercy. His power is at work in us through his blood. So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. What's your testimony? 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And the one who does not believe, God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. So he's saying, God, if you don't believe that, God is, that Jesus is God's Son, you're calling God a liar. Not a good position to be in. Right? And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So what's our testimony? What's our testimony? I've got life in the Son. What's my testimony? They, they overcame by their testimony. 
They were not ashamed of the gospel. They were not ashamed of what Jesus had done for them. They were not ashamed in that moment. They, were, they, were, they didn't love their life even to death. What's your testimony? When's the last time you told somebody your testimony? Because, you see, your testimony is a declaration that you're dependent upon Christ. And then you realize they're watching you. You just ask for accountability without asking for accountability. Don't we all hate accountability? We all want it, but we don't want it. You know, somebody, people will say to me, make me accountable. You know how that's absolutely impossible to make somebody account- accountable? You can only be accountable. If I, if I say to you, hey, how are you doing? And you say, fine, then I can ask you all day long how you're doing. You have to volunteer the truth and say, well, I, I, I'm doing horrible. I'm struggling. I had a bad week. I sinned every chance I got. You know, it's like, and then we're like, ooh, I'm sorry I asked. I you know. <laughs> so, but that, that's where our testimony does that. So here's what, God will open the door for you to share your testimony. God will put you in a place surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. Anybody know people that don't know Jesus? You work with some of them? You live with some of them? Some of them are here today? Uh, God will put you with people who don't know Jesus because you are going to share your testimony of how Jesus changed your life and what Jesus did for you. And that will empower you as an overcomer. You, you, see what, you see how this works? They were overcomers by the word of the testimony and the blood of the Lamb. The, their testimony empowered them to overcome the enemy. It's one of the tools that God has used is for you to be public about your faith. And it empowers, it empowers you to stand against the temptations, um, the tests, the difficulties of the enemy. We overcome. How do we overcome? Through the blood of the Lamb. Jesus did it. I didn't overcome. Really, Jesus did it all for me. I rest in what Jesus has done. I rejoice in what Jesus has done. I celebrate what Jesus has done, and I get to tell other people what Jesus has done for me by the word of his testimony. So, if you're fighting sin, how do you fight sin? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. You can do better and try harder, and you just will find it doesn't work. But... Trusting in what God has done, that there's no condemnation, there's forgiveness, there's redemption, there's just justification, there's grace, there's mercy. The list goes on and on. And recognizing what Jesus purchased with his blood, I can stand against temptation. And then that becomes my testimony. Some of you may be struggling today with something. James says we all struggle in many ways. If you ever find somebody that's not struggling, they're a liar. You mean, 
You may not be struggling with the same stuff that you were struggling 20 years ago. My grandma, my brother asked my grandma, who was about 80, she said, uh, he said, Grandma, when, when, do you, uh, when do you stop struggling with sin? She said, you don't, but it changes. She said, when I was young, I was struggling against the temptation of sin, but now that I'm older, I have to struggle against the temptation to be grumpy. <laughs> Ooh, some of you got that sin. <laughs> I got, I got it. I got it too. See, it, it, it doesn't go away. It just changes. So we have to, we're always learning to trust. What are we doing? We're always learning to trust Jesus. The word of the testimony, the blood of the lamb. The word of the testimony, the blood of the lamb. Amen. Let's stand together. If you need prayer, at the end of the service, we're going to have a couple of people who are going to be up here for praying. If there's an area of your life you'd like prayer about, there's something you want to overcome, something you're, something you're battling right now and you're struggling with right now, just stuff of life. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just means life. You know, every person in this room struggles. And we need, desperately need the work of Christ in our lives. We need the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony every day. So let's just pray. Father, in Jesus' name, you called us to be overcomers. But we don't overcome in our strength. We don't do better and try harder. We're not going to have to bear down. We just trust you. We just rejoice in what you've done. We celebrate that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you're going to build your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hell cannot overcome the people of God. The people of God are, are overcoming hell and rescuing people from the gates of hell. So, Lord, in the same way that you rescue us from the gates of hell, you daily rescue us from the struggles of our life so that you get the glory because we've been redeemed and forgiven and justified by your blood so that now we have a glorious testimony. This is what God has done for me. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.